Um, whenever Louis and I go to anywhere new, or at least somewhere that's not terribly familiar, one of the first things I do is Google woodland trails, walks, you know, country walks, whatever they call them. They call them different things in different counties. And invariably, you've got two choices. So you either do a circular walk, and you see new things all the time, or you do a there and back walk, sort of an ABA, and you see the things you saw that way from the other perspective. Are you with me? So I wonder which you prefer. Are you an ABA or are you a circular? Actually, it often depends on how many kilometers they are. <laughs> But, you know. So when we look at Paul's missionary journeys, his, his preferences aren't terribly obvious. The second was definitely a circular one. Uh, do you know what? We could have that slide up, please, Edmund. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> the second which is the sort of the red and purpley one, was definitely a circular one. You see it goes round and round and comes back again. However, the first, which we're just coming to the end of, he went for the ABA trail. I wonder why. Let's just pray for a minute. Father, we have much to learn from Paul and Barnabas. We have much to learn for their decision not to do a circular route home, but to come back the way they had gone. And I pray, Father, that as we hear your word, you will speak to us. You will sow seeds of discipleship in our hearts. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we have uh, these two guys, Paul and Barnabas. They've been traveling And timing is pretty difficult with these missionary journeys, but we reckon at this point they've probably been traveling between nine months, nine to 12 months, depending then on how long they took to come back. And they sense the time is right to start heading home. Um, so if you can imagine how tempting it would have been, it's a bit tricky to see this, but there they are in... Um, you've got Lyconia, Lystra, and Derby there. They could have gone, kept going to that way towards the piano, if you see what I mean. <laughs> You're with me, aren't you? They could have done that and ended up at Antioch, and that would have just been a nice little circle, but they don't do that. What they do is they go back towards Asia. They go back on their tracks. <clears throat> Can you imagine how tempting it would have been to go back to Antioch, the circular route, through Galatia and then home to Antioch via Tarsus? Tarsus was Paul's hometown. Um, and we understand at this point that many of Paul's family had become Christians. They would have a warm welcome, good food, fellowship. They'd had some successes, they'd done well, 
They'd overcome all the obstacles, but those last three cities had been really hard. You'll remember, we've been hearing about them the last couple of weeks. Persecuted in Antioch in Pisidia, stoned in Iconium, stoned again and left for dead in Lystra. They were tired. They'd had a little reprieve in Derby where they were able to simply preach the word and the Lord added to their number. But what do they do? Verse 21, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Why? Why would they go back to those places? They'd done the job. Come on, it was good. You know, they'd, they'd got converts. Why didn't they just go home? Because the goal was discipleship. That was the goal of the missionary journey. So they go back to the very places they'd been badly treated. And why did they do that? Verse 22. Strengthening the disciples and encourage them to remain true to the faith. This was what the whole mission was about. Not simply notching up converts. This was no one-hit wonder. This was about making disciples. This was about making lifelong disciples. And how do they do it? They strengthen and they encourage. Such simple words, aren't they? To strengthen someone, to encourage someone. Such profound implications. Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to persevere, to stay grounded in the truth that they had already heard and believed. They reaffirm them in what they already know. They remind them of the grace of God that had been at work in their lives. Some of you, perhaps like I do, remember the big Louis Palau mission that was on Blackheath. And one of the really great things is it involved quite a lot of the local churches, Why did it involve the local churches? Because one of Louis Palau's mission um, goals was to make disciples. And so there was a lot of follow-up of people who had come to faith. And even today, if you go to different churches in this area, different Christian churches of different denominations, you will see people who came to faith through the Louis Palau mission because they were followed up. How good are we at following up? You have a meaningful discussion with somebody. We get the chance to share the gospel in some measure. And then what? Or you chat to somebody new at church one Sunday. And then what? Do we just kind of leave it and hope, well, you know, God knows the needs of these people. God, God, will, God will deal with this. He'll intervene. Yeah, of course God will intervene. But you see... This passage is that converts were called to be part of a community of believers, not just different people that God would spend time with. They were called to be a community of believers, not isolated Christians. We are called to be his disciples, indeed to go and make disciples, not just converts. That was the great commission at the end of Matthew 28. 
We live in a world that values innovation, speed, newness. We thrive on the latest idea. We've developed the butterfly mind to perfection. Our thoughts struggle to settle. And the net cost is often a compromise on consolidation, on perseverance, on following through. And what we learn from this passage is the importance of follow-up conversations, the importance of perseverance, of consolidation, the importance of discipleship. So discipleship, do you know what it is? It's about extended Jesus-focused follow-up. And it's not just new believers that need to be followed up and strengthened. Every Christian, every Christian needs ongoing discipleship. I do, you do, we all do. So a couple of things to notice. First, you notice that Paul and Barnabas go back to the places that they had had the most resistance. And you know what? We too sometimes have to have the courage to revisit conversations, revisit situations that have been difficult. In order to bring a new perspective, new life, new strength, new courage to that person or situation. So are there people in our lives, perhaps in your life, that you know you should follow up? And you simply haven't done it. And yet God is kind of nudging. Come on, come on, Victoria, go on. The temptation for Paul and Barnabas was to take the short, easy route home via Tarsus, avoid the hardships that had been great and would be great, avoid the conflict, sidestep the tricky conversation. Secondly, what were Paul and Barnabas doing? Do you know what they were doing? They were watering what they had planted. How do we water the seeds of God's word in our lives? His word is planted in us every week when we come to church. Indeed, every day as we read our Bibles, as we pray. Every new truth that God reveals to us needs to be planted and firmly rooted in us. The word of God is alive and active. You know, I'm aware even this week, the Lord spoke to me through his word. And I've shared that with different people because I need to share it so that it takes root, so that there's a witness to it. Somebody is almost holding me accountable to what I heard God say. We are witnesses to one another. So you have a conversation with someone and a light bulb you thought had gone out years ago suddenly lights up. How will we hold on to that new truth? How will it be discipled into our lives in an ongoing way? We, all of us, from the newest believer to the most mature Christian need to be in a place where we can receive ongoing discipleship. And that discipleship is not about following a set of rules and regulations. Do you know what that makes you? A dutiful Christian. 
not really interested in that. At least, you know, I suspect it may have its place, but that's not what God called us to. That discipleship comes from hearts that have recognized God's grace in us. We are all sinners that have been saved by grace alone, not by anything we've done, by grace alone, by God's love, sending Jesus to die for us on the cross. That discipleship will come from God planting his love in our hearts for one another. Not out of our own human response, but because of his love poured into our hearts. And it is God's love, as we received it, that we are called to share with others. We've all called to be Paul's and Barnabas's to strengthen and encourage the brethren in our own sphere of influence, be it work, school, uni, home, family. Paul and Barnabas were also realistic about the consequences of discipleship. If we look on at verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Whoa. Hmm. Did I really, really sign up for hardship? Standing up against the prevailing culture of the world will have consequences. And in some nations, those consequences are actually almost beyond belief in the 21st century. But persecution of Christians, even to death, happens. We don't have that here And wow, we should be grateful for that. But perhaps we have something a little bit less explicit, that subtle isolation, that ridicule, cynicism, to contend with, do you really believe all that stuff about the virgin birth? I mean, you know. I I know Jesus was a good guy, of, of, of course he was, but do you honestly believe he rose from the dead? I mean... Ah, come on. And I mean, as for the Bible, you know, know I've read some of the Bible. It's really good stuff. There's some really good stuff in it. But I mean, you can't really kind of base your life on it. And there's some really odd stuff in there. You know. Some of those conversations can even shame us, actually as we struggle to respond and find ourselves stranded in the middle of a conversation for lack of response, we don't know what to say, and we're kind of uncomfortable. It kind of can be tough out there, and we need to be equipped to have a good answer to these comments, an answer that doesn't antagonize, an answer that proclaims that Jesus is still Lord as alive as he ever was in the 21st century. And that's why we still need one another. That's why we still need discipleship. Support, encouragement, continue in the faith. There are many kinds of hard times that rock us, that make us wonder if God is really there. That's why we need the brethren around us. Not to collude with our doubts. Let's be clear about that. 
but to understand and encourage us and support us. It's important to share the hard times with trusted brethren. The hard times are part of who we are. And in the end, they will strengthen us as we stay true to faith in the midst of pain and difficulty. Was God there when you needed him? Perhaps you struggled to find him. But in my experience, if the brethren are there when difficulties come, they can minister God's love and compassion, and sometimes when necessary, even his challenge to us, to simply persevere. We need to allow ourselves to be discipled by one another, for it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. So, having told them it was pretty tough to be a disciple, what did Paul and Barnabas then do? Verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. They brought order and structure to these new groups of believers and then they entrusted them to God. When we bring people to the knowledge of Jesus but don't provide a supportive, discipling community, it's like taking people to a foreign land with no dictionary, with no currency, with no roadmap. I remember many years ago when our children were still holidaying with us and we kind of veered off piste a bit and decided to go to that northern part of Hungary bordering on Czechoslovakia. Now, that was quite a few years ago, and it was rather different then than it was now, and we didn't have the currency, and the car broke down, and we didn't speak whatever we needed to speak. And, you know, all we wanted to do was to get out of there fast, really get out of there fast, because we didn't know anybody that could help us, that could help us make sense of actually what was a lovely place. If people have any sense, if they're just told about Jesus and abandoned, they're going to rush back to the country they know best, which is without Jesus. So let let me just kind of repeat again, discipleship and being a disciple is really nothing more complicated than friendships that are intentionally Jesus-focused. That's a disciple. I mean, I know it sounds terribly spiritual and terribly holy and all of that, but that is what it is. It is friendship that is intentionally Jesus-focused kingdom orientated if we evangelize without discipleship we leave the seed of faith the word of God to be picked off by birds parable of the soils mark 4 or the seed goes on stony ground and there's initial wow excitement I believe in Jesus whoa 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 this is great and then there's no follow up there's no discipling there's nothing And what happens? It withers. 
or there's that thorny ground where again there's no follow-up there's no come and meet some other people who believe in Jesus come come and come and meet some of my friends come and come and see somebody else who's actually really quite normal um and uh come and have fun come and have dinner with some of my Christian mates Because if we don't do that, the cares of the world will come and swallow up that little seed. And the persecution that these embryotic churches or experiences would soon choke the word away. So how did Paul and Barnabas choose who they would serve as elders? Prayer and fasting. They modeled their own discipleship on what they had experienced. If you look at Acts 13, 1-2, it was through prayer and fasting that the word of the Holy Spirit came to send out Paul and Barnabas. They asked that the Holy Spirit guide them in setting aside elders. <clears throat> and of course, Paul followed this up with face-to-face teaching, his face-to-face teaching with letters that he sent to the churches over the next 10 years. And interesting, the very first letter that Paul wrote was to the churches in Galatia. These are letters that we all need today as much as the new Christians did only months after they were converted. Now, I'm quite purposefully not going to say more about prayer and fasting because that's a sermon in itself. But I just want to highlight one thing which kind of certainly challenged me. Do you notice how prayer and fasting is sort of stated? It, it, it's almost as an aside. It, it's a given. Well, of course we pray and fast when we make a big decision. I mean, of course we do it. Don't we? I find that very challenging. How often do we really pray, ask God to reveal to us the way we should go before doing it. <clears throat> I suspect we might be better at praying than at fasting. It's, it's a topic for another sermon. I haven't fasted for some years. I'm actually ashamed to say, but in the context of this, it would be disingenuous of me not to say it. There was a time over a period of 20 plus years when fasting was a regular feature of my life. What happened? I actually don't have an answer and I need the Lord to give me a fresh revelation on fasting. Clearly it's important and it's part of how God speaks to us in our decision making. These groups of Christians needed to be given some kind of structure albeit loose, within which to live together. They needed God to reveal to Paul and Barnabas and to one another the gift of leadership, the gift of service, the gift of sharing life together as brothers and sisters under the lordship of Jesus. And perhaps sometimes we need to prayerfully encourage one another in some aspect of serving, either here in the church or among the brethren in another way. Final two verses. They're so important. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they now had completed. And on arriving there, they 
gather the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. They reported back. They encouraged those that had sent them out. They gave God all the glory. Now, those of you who are in any kind of public service will know that the, the big thing at the moment is reflective practice or action reflection. It's often used in business, you know, whatever name you like to give it. It's kind of a fairly standard way of reflecting back on projects that have been going on. Actually, this is what Paul and Barnabas were doing. They were not just reporting the facts. We went here, there, a hundred people got converted here. This is what happened. We preached ten times. Oh, no. This was much more personal. This was an account of the grace of God working in and through them. And they had been committed to God's grace for the work they had to do. And now they came and said, wow, God's grace was truly with us, even in the hard times. And this is why in the neighborly visiting that we're doing, we pray before we go out, and when we come back, we talk about the grace of God that has been working through us. And we encourage one another with what God is doing. A final, but I think quite an important thought on this, You know, Paul never met Jesus on earth. But he had a revelation of God's grace and mercy. And this is what he shared. This was Paul's message to the Gentiles. I am a sinner who has been saved by grace. It is the gift of God. And Paul was to emphasize that in his letter to the Ephesians years later. I am a witness to the grace of God. So unlike hundreds of the disciples who witnessed, if you like, the real human Jesus, we, like Paul, had not met the living human form of Jesus walking the earth. And yet, we, all of us, sitting here this evening, like Paul, who have had a revelation of Jesus as Lord and Savior, we have a message to share. We have a message of God's grace. Not just the grace of salvation, but the many daily graces of ordinary life. We have dozens and dozens of testimonies of simple daily graces. The daily goodness of the Lord to share with one another. A scripture passage that speaks to you. A phone call that was timely and of God. A conversation that uplifted. A kindly act that surprised. A parking space just when you needed it. An unexpected meal provided. A word in season from a brother or sister. Paul reminds us in Acts 15 that it is in God that we live and we move and we have our being. 
then if so, these daily happenings in our lives are not coincidences. They are the very acts of grace and mercy that come to those who live in Christ. Discipleship is a lifelong process. It is a lifelong daily process of encouraging and strengthening one another with the good news of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, you know um, how we sometimes struggle with the whole discipleship thing. We struggle to just talk God to one another. And Father, I pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit and you would bring an anointing of God talk among us. That you would fire us with a desire to offer this friendship, an intentional friendship focused on Jesus. That we would strengthen and encourage one another in our walk with you in the good times and in the bad times. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.